Welcome to the History Trust Summer Podcast Series. This podcast is based on the original recording from our Talking History program. You can read more about the podcast, its content and speaker in the show notes via your preferred podcast platform. Talking History was created on Ghana land, and the History Trust acknowledges the First Nations peoples of South Australia, whose connection to country and living cultures began in time immemorial and continues to the present. Who can remember their very first visit to the zoo? Or when they saw someone for the first time? Our own beloved Thai elephant, who tragically died after falling in the moat at Manato in 1994. She is the very last elephant displayed at the Adelaide Zoo. Where do you start to write about the first elephants in Australia? I discovered that Australia's first elephant came to Adelaide in 1852, called Raja, then Jumbo, and then Tommy. Now he came aboard a ship from Calcutta with another little elephant who went on to Sydney. Unfortunately, Tommy died only in 1858, six years after he came here, basically through neglect and plain bloody ignorance. Then there were the Adelaide Zoo's four elephants, other than small. Altogether, the zoo has had five between 1883 and 1994. First was Miss Siam in 1883, Marianne in 1904, Lillian from 1934 to 56. And there is another elephant that is still very much around. This is the John Martin's pageant elephant called Nelly. Then there was Baby Tara, who was only at the zoo between 1963 and 1966, beginning with Miss Siam, who was the zoo's first elephant in 1883. She was a gift from Sir Thomas Elder and quickly became the draw card in the zoo. She could make 40 quid in six months, carrying over 3,000 children, each paying threatens to ride in the howler on her back. She died in May 1904. Following an autopsy, she was found actually to have had an enormous goldstone as big as a man's head, weighing 10 kilos. And you can still see her today. Next time you go to the SA Museum, look at her toenails. They're in a very, very shocking state. Next was Marianne. Marianne was a very popular elephant. She earned more in a day given rise than her keeper did in a week. She was generally known to be very docile, except for the day when she coiled her trunk around the neck of one of her keepers, Mr. Bradshaw, and would have been crushed to death, but for his quick movement involving her trunk to escape her coils. After the event, he particularly remembered the coarse hairs of her trunk, scraping his face. The next elephant was Lillian. It was a minor city event for several years when she was walked through the streets to the East End Market, where she was weighed on the licensed weighbridge until 1942, when she developed panic attacks. In the first year, this was the opportunity by the Lioness Club of Adelaide, that is L-I-A-R-S, Lioness Club, that ran a competition for the general public who were invited to guess Lillian's weight at six months ago. The donated money was for the sick and crippled children in South Australia. Small clues were that Lillian was six foot two inches high at the last measuring and when fully grown could weigh over three tons. 
But Lily was never a healthy elephant, and by the 1950s there were plans to replace her. A young elephant to be called Small was found in Thailand and shipped to Taronga Zoo in Sydney in 1956. In the course of my research about Small to find out where she actually came from within Thailand and under what conditions, I did visit Thailand and the National Archives. I was hoping the foreign affairs file would tell me where Simone came from, but sadly it didn't. So I had to use common sense and put my brain into a 1950s mode when travel and infrastructure in Thailand would have been pretty poor. To obtain a young elephant, the Bangkok Zoo would have gone to the closest place where one could be found. So taking all this into consideration, Simone was probably born about 80 miles north of Bangkok at Ayutthaya or Lokburi, still traditional elephant towns today. However, I do not know whether she was taken from her mother. More than 70 years ago, elephants were rounded up and herded into crowds. The whole business could only be sanctioned by the Thai monarchy. Simone was brought to the Bangkok Zoo in 1955 when she was five years old where she was trained up for several months to do tricks, behave appropriately with children and pull a cart in a minute. She was looked after by one of the many Thai princes, who was the zoo's honorary vet. While Simone was being trained up in Bangkok Zoo before being forwarded to Ronga Zoo, the Adelaide Zoo had, months before then, contracted with famous animal trader Peter Reiner to secure an Indian elephant. These were the days when animal traders and big game safari hunters were themselves celebrities. But when these activities became on the nose by the 1950s, they often couldn't cope with no longer being celebrities. With the downturn in his trade, Sir Peter Reiner became an alcoholic and took his own life in the early 1960s. And while all this was going on, Lillian the Zoo's resident elephant was still very much alive. Well, barely. The zoo to their cost found out that suddenly they were about to obtain two elephants at once. At first the zoo thought they'd receive both elephants and sell the Indian one to one of the circuses. But the zoo wouldn't take the risk of being left with it if they decided they didn't like her. So the Indian elephant contract was cancelled and while Simone was at Taronga, Lillian, the 25-year-old frail elephant, had to be got rid of. Indeed, the zoo minutes recorded her condition deteriorated until there was no alternative but to do away with her. The elephants are very difficult to get rid of. George Orwell or Eric Blair got into trouble first trying to kill an elephant in Burma before the Second World War and then not killing it outright. And he wrote about it in an article shooting an elephant in 1936. Before then, in 1916, circus owner Charles Spark hanged his, his and noticed, I say, beloved 22-year-old four-ton sus elephant called Mary from a railway derrick in Irwin, Tennessee. She had trampled on and killed the contract circus worker who had brutally treated her with an anchor, a metal rod with a nasty hook on the end. In Adelaide, zoo elephants were traditionally retained after death to be stuffed or kept as skeletons. 
but not so poor Lillian. So Keith Angus was chosen to shoot her after the zoo closed for the day in May 1956, thus making room for Simone's arrival. He was considered a good shot, having saved the life 22 years earlier of a safari leader by shooting the lion that was maiming him when he was on safari in Kenya. So he was a bit of a hero. Now Lillian's death was a hush-hush affair. It was never mentioned in the Zoo Minutes until after her death. So worried were the Zoo Board of leaks to the media. Like a public execution with board and staff members present, she dropped dead on the first shot. So then, three keepers set to work under glaring lights to dismember her. They finished the grisly task late that night. For early next morning, her remains were to be dispatched to the Jeps Cross Boiling Down Works. In order for her to fit through into a digester, she was cut into strips five feet long by 16 inches wide. Only when she was dispatched to the Boiling Down Works were the chief quarantine officer, the media and the public told of Lillian's death. And the keepers who dismembered her were each paid a bonus of four pounds. So before I speak about Simone's arrival, I mention the other elephant, Nelly. After the Second World War, as the world returned to some normality, slightly eccentric inventors concentrated once more on dreaming up newfangled inventions that included toys, robots, and other mechanical gadgets. After the first robotic Nelly made her debut in England in July 1950 on an Essex road, pictures were flashed around the world showing her carrying a group of children in her howder. So the owner of John Martin's store, Edward Haywood, who lived at Carrick Hill House, immediately ordered one for £1,500, and it cost that much again in freight charges. It was made as a tubular steel skeleton from 9,000 parts, and was complete with a 10 horsepower car engine that drove the moving legs. Weighing about a ton, its steel innards were covered in a hide of specially toughened inch thick paper. As the elephant trundled along on eight wheels, its head nodded while wagging its trunk. Like a real elephant, it was steered from a seat behind its ears using protruding bars. Very cannily, the exhaust fumes escaped through its trunk. But at its outset, Adelaide authorities were quick to declare that their mechanical elephant was not a robot, nor was it a toy at all. But guess what? It was a vehicle. When Mr Walker, the registrar of South Australian Motor Vehicles, learned that Nelly would motor through the city in John Martin's Christmas pageant, he solemnly ruled on a £4 fee to re register Nelly for six months. She also had to carry two number plates somewhere around her person, along with a fire extinguisher, <laughs> just in case. And after all, she was made of paper. So then Simone arrived, like the Queen of Sheba in Adelaide, some six months later on the back of a refrigerator truck going to Godfrey's at Keswick, where the truck was delivering fridges. The fridge factory was owned by Sir Ed Halstrom, president of the Toronto Zoo. So as his trucks made deliveries around the country, he was able to arrange the transport for Simone to the Adelaide Zoo. Now Sir Ed had the dubious reputation as being the king of concrete at the Toronto Zoo. 
and later became more infamous for his bird smuggling rackets that implicated both Sioux, Taronga, and Adelaide. Both Sioux were then exposed to be at the heart of the illegal bird smuggling racket in Australia up to the 1960s. For one South American parrot, one of the rarest in the world, Holstrom dispatched many containers of native animals and birds worth over £100,000. Such was his mad obsession to possess the world's rarest birds. Sir Ed, who was a lifetime member of the Adelaide Zoo, was affectionately called the godfather of the Adelaide Zoo. It was only when an incoming director, William Gaston, came to the zoo in 1963 that he exposed the various rackets taking place under the zoo's banner. The bird racket saga ended up in a lengthy court case. The judge of the day had absolutely no idea the racket and bird and native animal smuggling was but the tip of the iceberg. Unfortunately, the restrictive act of about 1959 only saw native bird and animal smuggling go underground. So it was a bit like a soapbox saga. This so-called saga had terrible effects on the zoo. But when Gaskin began at the zoo in 1963 and discovered what was going on, President Fred Bash tried to take over the running of his zoo entirely by himself, as he was about to change the rules so he'd be both the CEO and the president. Like Sir Ed at Taronga Zoo, Bass was treating Adelaide Zoo as his own private menagerie. Unfortunately, the zoo staff were confused as to whom they should be taking their orders from because they didn't know who was actually in charge anymore. So the animals physically suffered. Jobs were not getting done, and believe it or not, specific animals got sunburned, like the elephants, the hippos, the rhinos. And the elephants became unruly through lack of attention. With all this going on, and amid the conflict, guess who turned up but Joy Addison, or bestseller born three. She visited the zoo and condemned what she saw through the local papers. She saw the zoo before the modernisation projects began, that is, before moats were constructed to do away with fencing and cages. It was only when the next incoming director, Lanky Lancaster, took over in 1964 that the really very bad old days gave way to new zookeeping practices and have generally continued on in the best of zoo practice ever since. Before Lanky Lancaster had arrived, Simone had been joined at the zoo in 1963 by a young elephant called Tara. And she was an unruly little elephant, but she completely captured Simone's heart. The decibels level went through the roof and giving cart rides had to be abandoned temporarily, for the pair couldn't bear to be parted, and Simone caused many incidents with carts for the children. Only months before Gaskin arrived, so did a Dutch gardener called Hero Nuis. Without any formal knowledge whatsoever about zoos, and even less about elephants, he soon became Simone and Tara's keeper. Perhaps no one else wanted to do the job, as it is a tremendously stressful job. And Hero was a can-do chap. Several of Simone's keepers before Hero were alcoholics. So his dedication to Simone was like a wonderful relief. And indeed, Hero declared his relationship with Simone was like marriage. But we all know what happens when there are three in a marriage. The rumors were according to former director Ed McAllister, 
that Hero helped to expedite Tara's sail to a circus, basically because he couldn't cope with two elephants. After three years at the zoo, when Tara went to her new home, so began the incredibly long relationship of Samoan with her beloved keeper that was over 25 years long from 1963. As for Tara, well, sadly, she was killed some years later in Queensland when the truck she was travelling in was involved in a fatal accident. Now, anyone who worked at the zoo has their own version of the following event involving Dr. Percy Watts. Watts was in the habit of parking his prestigious dusty blue Mercedes-Benz car within the zoo precinct close to the rear of the elephant house and next to the animal hospital. This, as the story verifies, was an unfortunate choice for it was parked next to a mound of vegetables and fruit collected every day from the central and east end markets for Simon and the other beasts. Sometimes when Simone's enclosure was being cleaned, she was allowed out as a special treat to forage for choice tidbits from the man. But one day, while Hero's supervision was diverted for a few precious seconds, Simone, who loved anything at bounce, that's balls, wheelbarrows, strollers, crams, and cars, and who had already spotted the Mercedes parked nearby, saw an opportunity to try out her weightlifting prowess and to test whether the car would bounce. In the blink of an eye, it was already too late. Hero turned to see Simone with her trunk through the open window, enabling her to lift the car as she tilted it onto just two wheels to test the suspension, no doubt. Hero bellowed, drop it, Sam. And being the good obedient elephant that she was, she dropped the car. And although it bounced, she still managed to severely dent its roof. There are many tales about the spicy elephant that baby boomers grew up with. One story is what happens when Simone blew up red paint through her trunk and sprayed it over herself and all those about her. But as Simone, she was far from a docile creature. In fact, she had made several attempts to kill those she didn't like. Despite this, she was loved and adored by all who worked with her or who visited her. Paul O'Donoghue was with Simone when she died at Monato, so I was able to get first-hand knowledge of the tragic event from him and of him trying to keep her alive after being craned out of the Monato moat on that fateful morning of the 10th of October 1994. It seems she wore herself out trying to get out of the moat. She'd fallen in upside down, and because the bottom of the boat had not been scooped out, she was trapped until the first bus of the morning spotted her. Legs sticking out, so I'm informed. So what happened to Simone after her death? Well, like Marianne, her skeleton was kept. Simone is the smaller elephant displayed at the museum on Throne Road, alongside Marianne, where they are companions together forever, hopefully, in the Museum of Anatomy. Searching into Simone's life has led me into the woeful tale of elephants being critically endangered. The reality is that Thai elephants may be extinct within 30 years. The bleak statistics of elephant numbers plummeting by 90% is alarming. In 100 years, numbers have fallen from 100,000 to less than 2,000 in the wild, with about 3,000 domestic ones used for tourism 
think about it. When you do your sums at that rate, they'll be gone before the decade's out. And David Attenborough asked the question, are we happy? Do you suppose that my grandchildren may never be able to see an elephant except in a picture book? We hope you enjoyed this episode. This is just one of the many stories of South Australia's history from the past, unfolding today and now preserved for the future. To read the show notes about this podcast, or to access the original recording, search Talking History in your favourite podcast platform, and don't forget to subscribe to hear the latest episodes. You can also visit history.sa.gov.au to learn more about the History Trust, our collections, public programs and museums, and how we are giving the past a future now.